The following message is brought to you by Morgan Hill Bible Church. For all things MHBC, connect with us on social media and check us out online at mhbible.org. All right. So we are continuing this morning in our series called Note to Self, and we have been blessed the last two weeks, um, two weeks ago by Anthony and last week by Caleb on their preaching. I always make sure to tell people this is not a one-man show at Morgan Hill Bible Church. We are a team effort, and you have been blessed by a lot of the members of our pastoral staff. All of our pastors are such talented and gifted communicators of God's word, and you've been blessed the last two weeks we have with, with their preaching. And I'm continuing this morning in our series. You know, it's kind, of, it's kind of fascinating when you get a glimpse into someone's life, kind of a day in the life of someone, right? Because we know our lives and you know, if for those of you who work, you know kind of the ins and outs of your job. But then if you get a look at somebody else's life, who's maybe in an entirely different field, different family, it's this eye-opening experience. It's, well, that's what you do. That's what life looks like for you. What would it look like to look into the life of Jesus when he is here on earth? Well, what, what did Jesus do day in and day out? What were the primary public facing things that he did? And really, when you summarize the ministry of Jesus, it's kind of, you can put it in kind of three big categories. First are miracles. Jesus did a lot of miracles. Lots of those were individual healings of people, but we certainly see miracles showing his power over nature and otherwise. We see all the time that people were bringing the sick to him so that he could pray for them and heal them. So Jesus was doing miracles. The second thing Jesus was doing a lot of is casting out demons. Now, hopefully this isn't a regular routine of you in your life, right? But, but Jesus was casting out demons, showing his superiority as God over the demonic realm, that he is God and has authority over all things, both seen, seen miracles and unseen in the demonic realm. The third thing that Jesus' ministry consisted of is teaching, that Jesus taught Regularly, we see that the people are coming out and Jesus is sitting down the crowds, sitting down his disciples, and he's teaching them how to live. Now, it's interesting, given the prominent role of Jesus's teaching, how few large sections we have of Jesus's teaching in Scripture, right? If you notice, your New Testament is not just a compilation of Jesus's sermons, Right? In fact, there's only one that would actually fit the length of what we call a sermon today, and that's in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And that's where we're going to look today. So if you have your Bibles, open them up to Matthew chapter 6. It's interesting, this is the longest sermon of Jesus, and even if you read it through, it'll be 15 minutes. No, today's not going to be 15 minutes. Sorry, some of you got really excited. You will be out by the time the Niners kick off, though. Don't worry. <laughs> It's a good thing they're the second game, isn't it? So, uh, so Jesus has this teaching, and this is the longest teaching of Jesus in Scripture. The longest one we have in Matthew 5 to 7. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. The genius name that we call it that because it starts with a passage that says, Jesus went up to the mountain, sat the people down and preached. So it's literally the Sermon on the Mountain. We're real original as the Bible, right? So, so it's the Sermon on the Mount. And he talks about kingdom living. What does it look like to follow God, to live for Jesus as his disciples in this world? And it starts in Matthew chapter five, talking a lot about looking at the Old Testament law and getting to the heart of it. So he says, you have heard it said this. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery. Do not 
murder. And then Jesus gets to the heart behind it, right? The, the reason that he says, do not commit adultery is just so you can live however you want, just as long as you're not sleeping with someone, but he gets to the heart. It's about lust and where your heart is. It's not just murder, it's about anger. And he gets to the heart of kingdom living. In chapter six, he starts to transition into spiritual practices that characterize the life of Jesus's disciples. He, he talks about prayer. He talks about fasting. He talks about generosity and giving. And then at the end of Matthew chapter six, in the sermon that Jesus has, he pauses in the greatest sermon ever preached, the most important text that we have of Jesus' lengthy teaching, and talks about anxiety and worry. He talks about worry and anxiety. See, why does Jesus address this? Why are we pausing and taking a whole month to address this issue? Because Christianity is not religious escapism. It's not you follow Jesus and one day your life will be different. You'll die and go to heaven and the rest of your life is just a jumbled mess. Hold on till you get there someday. But following Jesus has meant that kingdom living starts here and now in the present. That Jesus won't just change your future. Jesus wants to change your everyday reality now as a disciple of him. The Holy Spirit indwells you now if you are a believer. And kingdom living through the power of Christ and the Holy Spirit is meant to be experienced today. And it has serious answers and addresses this issue that we all face of worry and anxiety in our lives. So let's read together Matthew chapter six, starting at verse 25. It says this, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, about what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. Today, we're gonna to look at three actions for the anxious that Jesus gives to us in this passage, in this sermon. And today, the first is this, is that we need to learn from God's provision. That when we are anxious, we need to learn from God's provision, not only in our lives, we need to look around and look at the world around us and see that we serve a God who provides and cares for his creation and for his people. It starts with this phrase in verse 25, do not be anxious about your life. Do not worry. Now, Jesus here is not saying never feel stressed, never feel anxiety, never feel any type of worry, right? We are not in total control of our emotions. You cannot help what you feel every single hour of every single day. What Jesus is saying here is, listen, when these things come, you get to choose whether you live into that and feed it and allow it to control your life and you also get to choose if you face the reality of your emotions with scripture and don't let that dwell and control and be the narrative of your 
life, that we're not actively feeding into the worry and anxieties that come, the pressures that come our way. Now, Jesus obviously knows his audience. And so what does Jesus do when he addresses the things that we're anxious about? He leans in to the greatest stressors when he looks down at likely the hundreds or thousands of people that he's talking to and the greatest stressors and worries in their life. See, most of you probably didn't wake up this morning terrified about what you were going to eat for breakfast, right? You opened up and you were like, do I want bagels? Do I want cereal? Do I want eggs? Do I want oatmeal? What kind of coffee do I want? How much cream? Like you have a plethora of food options. So this, you're like, well, yeah, I don't worry about what I'm going to eat. It's just, man, there's a lot of good restaurants in Morgan Hill. Where are we going to go for brunch today? That's the extent of your worries when it comes to food. Jesus here is addressing people who are very poor, who were on the margins of society, who lived in an agricultural lifestyle, who when floods came, when heavy rains came and things got ruined, they didn't have a cupboards full of food. And they may not have known what tomorrow was going to be or what food next week would look like. And just surviving, just eating was a regular worry of their life. They couldn't just go down to Target or pull up their Amazon app and buy whatever they wanted when it came to clothing. With it genuinely being able to provide for themselves and for their families was a very real concern. So these were very prominent front stressors to Jesus's audience. And I think it's appropriate for us to take our largest stressors in our lives and place them here where Jesus says this. So when he says, do not be anxious about what you will eat or what you will drink, I think we can easily put here, do not be anxious about where you will go to college, about your kid's future. Do not be anxious about your finances. Do not be anxious about your job situation. Do not be anxious on if your house is going to sell or if you need to move. Don't be anxious about your kids and these things that are right in front of us. And Jesus points to nature. I bet, you know, he obviously was outside sitting on a mountain. I bet as he's talking in verse 26, you know, because he's God, so he can do whatever he wants. He just has a bird fly over, right? And he's like, look at the birds, right? We didn't cue that up. There was supposed to be a bird. No, I'm just kidding, right? Like, look, look at the birds. And I can picture there's a flock of birds. He's like, they, they don't plant gardens. They're not out there working all summer long to make sure they have food, but God takes care of them. Look, look at the birds. God provides for them. And then they're sitting out in a mountain and I would imagine that, that he can look out and say, look, look, at, look at the lilies, look at the flowers. We can imagine this. I was driving down to Costco yesterday. There's suddenly all this yellow along Highway 101, right? The flowers are here. Who planted them? Who watered them? Who fertilized the fields? Nobody, right? They suddenly showed up. And just like this, we know we're going to blink and it's going to be 110. You're going to wish it was raining again like it's been the last month, Right? Like just as quick as they show up, they disappear, right? And we get the golden stage of California all over again. But God, God provides, God brings those. And if God can provide for the flowers and if God can provide for the birds, cannot God provide for you? And Jesus asked this question, what, what, how does this add a single hour of life to your span of life? How, how does this help you? What good can it do? Now, Jesus probably isn't thinking medicine here, but we know studies calculate, they're not sure exactly, it's hard to measure. Many studies, though, suggest that you could lose actually up to possibly 10 years of your life if you live in chronic worry and anxiety every single day, that it is detrimental to your span of life. So what, why do we need to learn from God's provision, from looking around us? Why do we need to learn? Well, the first is, is this, is that as Jesus says at the end of verse 26, that we often misunderstand our value. 
We need to learn from God's provision because we misunderstand our value. Verse 26 says, are you not of more value than they? Jesus is here doing an argument from the lesser to the greater. He's picking birds and flowers, not because of how great they are, because of how small they are and saying, look at this is of little value. Look at you. If I provide here, will I not provide for my children, those whom I love? If God provides for these, will he not for you? Many years ago, there was a TV show that was, I think, the most popular show on Netflix for a season. And it showed this inside picture of a teenage girl struggling with mental health issues. And one of the challenges that I think was, was so good that it put on this show is it showed how much everyone around this teenage girl loved her. It showed her parents who loved her and her friends who loved her, but she was blind to the reality of how loved she was by others. And it warped her entire world. Because she misunderstood her value. She, she could only see life through her own lens and couldn't see how valued and loved she was by others. So often we live the same way. When worry and anxiety come into our lives, you know what a lot of us do? We lie to ourselves. We lie to ourselves. When you are experiencing stress and worry and anxiety, here's a, here's a good principle to live by. Don't believe everything you think. Sometimes you're wrong about yourself. You know what? I, I'm just no good. This doesn't matter. It's because no one cares about me. God doesn't care about me. No one loves me. No one. And you can spiral real quick and we all do it. When things start to go bad, it's just going to get worse. It's going to get worse. Everything's going bad. Like we spiral so quick. We lie to ourselves. And we misunderstand how valuable we are, not only to others, but how valuable we are to God. And so in anxiety and worry, we need to understand how valuable we are to God. And the second reason we need to learn from God's provision is because like so often what Jesus is pointing out here, the reality is we too lack faith. We too lack faith in God's provision. And the end of verse 30 says, oh, you of little faith. See, worry is often, not always, but worry is often a symptom of the deeper issue of our hearts, which is a lack of trust in God, a lack of trust in God. And too often when we talk about and feel about the worry and anxiety and stress that we feel in our lives, too often we are just trying to treat the symptom rather than the core issue underneath. Right, that would be like this. Say, say, like we had sweet little Eden up here who fell and broke her arm. It was, I think, I'm trying to add my protecting Thursday. Right? Imagine if she breaks her arm Thursday. What do Adam and Julie do? I'll just give her some Tylenol. She'll be fine. Right? And the cow, the pain's gone for a few days or a couple hours because you give Tylenol. Then what happens? You got to give more because it wears back off. Right? It, what happens if you break your arm? You got to go see a doctor and get it set because that's the core issue, not the pain, but it's pointing to something else. Too often, our anxiety and worry that we regularly feel coming up over and over again, especially for a lot of us, it's the same stressors. It's the same things coming over and over again. Why is that coming up over and over? So often, it's because I'm not trusting God with this issue. Why does this seem to cripple me? Why is it the same thing coming up all the time? So often, it points to the deeper fact because you're not trusting God with this. Now, again, not every worry, not every anxiety is because of this. But for a lot of us, a lot of the time, this is the reason underneath the symptom. Now, these two things go together. Understanding our value and having trust in God. 
See, we will only learn to trust God when we understand how much he values us. You will grow in your trust. You will grow in your faith as you grow in understanding how much God loves you. This is why the apostle Paul regularly in his, in his teachings to others would be, man, I pray that your eyes would just be open to understand how loved you are by God. Because if we got how loved we were by God, if we truly just grew a little bit in that, everything else would start to grow in our lives. It's a lot easier to trust, to have faith in someone when we start to understand how deeply valued we are, how much God actually loves you. You know he loves you, but you don't understand how much it is. None of us do. And when we understand the value and the love that God has placed on us, it frees us because then we can trust him because we know how much he loves us. And so the first action that we have to take is to learn from God's provision, to understand the value that we have because of the God we serve. Jesus continues in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness, and all these things, all the things that you would stress, all the things that you would worry about, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added to you. The second action we need to take in anxiety is to look at your priorities, to look at your priorities in your life. So you seek first the kingdom of God, have the center of your focus, your heart's longing, your heart's desire be on God, on his righteousness, meaning on living the way that he wants you to. When that is the focal point of our lives, everything else comes into alignment around that. But what he's saying is that when that's not the focal point, when we seek anything else first, everything else in our lives will go off kilter because we haven't put the first thing first. See, many of us, are experiencing anxiety and worry in our lives because we are making secondary things the ultimate thing in our lives. And whenever you make a secondary thing the ultimate thing, you are always anxious and worried because it cannot last, it cannot hold you like how only God can, who's meant to be the center of it. Now, I've said this many times, so if you're here regularly, I apologize, but I think this is true and we see it in all of scripture that we can make anything an idol in our lives. And so when we talk about making secondary things ultimate, I'm not talking about making sin issues like your identity in your life. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when your job, which is a God-given gift to you and the talents, when that becomes the focal point of my life, everything else will become off kilter. When even my wife or my husband or my kids, when my marriage, my family, when even that is the focal point, God can get pushed to the side and everything else can become off kilter. We can make secondary things ultimate things. And when you make a secondary thing the ultimate thing in your life, what you're essentially doing is putting down a welcome mat to anxiety to walk right into your heart. Because you are always obsessed, am I enough? Do I have value? Am I worth it? Why? Because you're always having to do more. There's no security in it. It's the constant search for approval and acceptance. And in our day and age, when it comes to misplaced identities and seeking first God's kingdom, one of the biggest obstacles that we have to seeking his kingdom first is the busyness of our lives. That we are busy, busy people. And we wear busyness in our world like a badge of honor. Don't we? Like it's a competition to see who the busiest person around is. Think about it. If you see someone at work tomorrow, Hey, how are you? How was your weekend? They may say good, but what are they going to probably say? Oh, it was busy. 
It was busy. I'm busy. Are you busy? I'm busy too. Let me tell you how busy I am and see if I can outscale your busyness, right? This is a badge of honor. We take pride in our busyness. Like we're better than others if we are busier than them. I'll never forget the irony because we all think how busy we are and we're all kind of warped in our own world of our own busyness. Many years ago, I had a, a teenage girl that I was, I, I forget what it was. I was inviting her to something of the church. I was a youth pastor and she, she stopped and said, you know, she, by the way, you know, I, at the time I was, it was, I remember it was my first year of being married. So I was married, newly married. I was working full time and going to grad school full time. My wife and I had one night a week where we were both home. Where one of us wasn't working or at school. Life was busy. And I had this girl who was, I think, a sophomore or junior in high school who was homeschooled, which there's nothing against homeschooling, but there's life seems to be a little simpler. You don't have to travel, commute, no sports teams, nothing like that. I invited her to think at church. She goes, Pastor Michael, you do not understand how busy my life is. And I was like, you're right. I don't understand how busy your life is, nor do you understand how busy other people, right? But it's like this busyness. Oh, I'm so busy. I don't have time for anything else. See, busyness is the culturally acceptable drug of choice to mask our anxiety that we feel in the world, right? If you walked in here this morning, like, I'm a drug addict, I'm an alcohol actor, I'm addicted to gambling, we'd be like, oh, we need to get this person some help. If you walk in and be like, I worked 90 hours this last week, we'd be like, good for you, good job, good job, good for you, you're working hard. That, like, somehow that's a culturally acceptable thing even in the church, we need to understand this reality of seeking first God's kingdom. Busyness does not equal significant. You can live a busy life and it can be an insignificant life as well. Busyness does not equal significance. And busyness clouds out our spiritual lives as well. It's hard to trace down who said it because lots of people have quoted it over the years. So I don't know who said it first, but it's true. They say this, if, if the devil cannot make you bad, he will make you busy. If he can't make you bad, can't get you in sin, he'll make you busy. Why? Because busyness will distract you from the things of God. It'll distract you from seeking first his kingdom. There was one ancient saint of the church who said, everyone needs 30 minutes of prayer in the morning, except when they're exceptionally busy, then they need an hour of prayer in the morning. The reformer Martin Luther said, I have so much to do today that I'm going to spend my first three hours in prayer recognizing that the quicker my life is, the more I need to retreat away and focus on God because of how it can skew everything else in my life. So this week, are you seeking first God's kingdom? Or is your life focused on someone else? We have this great opportunity this week here, as Caleb was saying, to stop and to spend an hour in prayer, to, to push aside the busyness of life and just to spend one hour focusing on God. And if you've never done this before, if you've never spent one hour alone with God in prayer, maybe you have, but if you haven't or you haven't in a long time, I challenge you just to sign up, to come to church, to try it for an hour and to see what happens. Now, maybe nothing happens. I can't promise you that, but maybe something will happen. Maybe you'll hear from God in a unique way because you're setting aside the craziness and busyness of life and seeking first after him. If we're not seeking him first, all of this anxiety and worry we are welcoming into our lives. Jesus closes this section on worry and anxiety in Matthew 6, 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. The third, third action for anxiety is to live in the present. 
to live in the present. Jesus is saying, live for today. Don't be anxious about tomorrow. Sufficient for today is its own troubles. See, for a lot of us, when we look to the future, for all of us, when we look to the future, I know, all of us, there's a lot of question marks, right? None of you know what your life will look like in a month or in a year or in five years. We maybe have ideas, but none of us know, right? There's question marks for every single one of us. And what do we love to do at night? We lie down, we're exhausted from the day. And what does our mind try and do? Start to think about tomorrow. Starts to think about what you got to do about your stress. And then because you're so stressed, you stay up too late and you can't sleep and you end up staying up all night and you wake up in the morning exhausted. And so you get through the day and you lay down at night exhausted. And what do you do? The same thing all over again, right? Like you stay up too late thinking about, and we're, we're in this perpetual spiral of anxiety about the future. Corey Tan Boom, I love this quote that she says. I think we have it here on the screen. I wrote it down because I think I really want you to get this one. Worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. I love that. Worry does not take away the sorrow or the pain or the challenge of tomorrow. What it does is it empties today of its strength. That's what worry actually does in our lives. Now, for some of us, this idea of not worrying, of not worrying about tomorrow is easy. For some of you, like, who live way in the present, like, you actually need to think a little bit more about tomorrow, right? Like, some people fly off the cuff and they're like, whoa, plan your life a little bit. But for a lot of us, this may be one of the hardest things of our life in following God. This may be one of the hardest things in life in following God is trusting God with the future, and trust in God with the unknown tomorrow. How can we live in the present? How can we rest in God when the future is unknown to us? Scripture points over and over to how we can. We have to be assured of God's presence there. We can only live in the present, trusting God with the future, when we are assured that he will be with us in whatever comes our way. One of the most pivotal moments in scripture, kind of one of these kind of big, big pivotal moments is in early in the book of Joshua. Moses has led the people of Israel out of Egypt. They're on the cusp of entering into this promised land, but Moses has died. He's gone. There's this new leader. His name's Joshua. He's about to enter the people of Israel. Millions of people lead them into this new phase of Israel's history. And what does God say to Joshua and to his people, the people of Israel twice? In Joshua 1, he promises them this in verse 5. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Joshua, just as I was with Moses, my presence will also be with you. And then in Joshua 1.9, a well-known passage. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. Why? One reason, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. It's not that life will be easy. It's not that there won't be challenges. It's not that you know what it's going to look like, but I will be there. And if I'm there, you don't have to live in fear and dismay because you know that I am there. I will be with you. We can live in the present because we are assured of God's presence in the future. Some of you are facing significant challenges and questions when it comes to what the future looks like in your life. What, what will it be? What will it look like? The decisions, moving, career. There's many in our church family right now, either themselves or with ones dear to them who are facing cancer and, and the, the diagnosis from that. And the future is a huge question mark. How, how do we know? How can we live with such uncertainty? 
It's that God is there. God is present. Just as real as God is today, he will be with us tomorrow. As a believer, we need to learn every day to lean on God's presence and God's grace in our life. Every single day to lean on his presence and to lean on his grace. Do you ever wish you could stack up on something like in in advance, like you're gonna hoard a little bit of everything and you know you can't, but you wish you could, right? Like you saw my kids never cry. They're always very well behaved. And since you know, like when the new one's coming, Emily's like four and a half months old. Don't you wish, for those of your parents, don't you wish you could just stack up on sleep? Because you know like what the next six months are gonna be, right? You wish you could just get your advance, but that's not how it works, right? You, You can try, but it doesn't work that way. You gotta just get through one day at a time and trust that you'll have enough that day. You can't get tomorrow's strength for today. See, here's the thing, when it comes to following God, God doesn't give you grace in advance. He doesn't give you the grace for what you need tomorrow, today. He'll give it to you tomorrow, but he gives you today what you need today. Lamentations 3 says this, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. God does not give you an advance credit. He will not give you today for what you need next week or next year or even tomorrow, but he will give you today what you need today. And so what does God call on us to? It's each and every day. Say, God, I need your grace. I need your strength. I need your mercy today to live today as you would in the present and to trust you in the future. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it will look like, but I know you'll be there. And so would you be here with me today Give me grace, give me strength for whatever I am to face. He loves you. He knows you. He will be with you. And that is enough. God, we thank you. We thank you for your presence with us through the good and the bad. God, as we As we look at your provision, we can, yes, look at the birds and look at the flowers. But God, for many of us, we just have to look back at our lives. We've seen your faithfulness. We've seen you provide. God, help us to trust that you will do it again. God, help us to learn that discipline of leaning on your grace every single day. Trusting our future with you as unknown, as uncertain as it may be, because you are there. And you will give us tomorrow what we need. God, we thank you that we can trust in you in every situation in life. Help us to understand the breadth, the height, the depth of the love that you have for us. Help us to understand how loved we are by you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Continue the conversation with us on social media. Never miss a message and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes.